This is In Focus from Control Risks, the global specialist risk consultancy. Each episode of In Focus brings you in-depth analysis and perspective from a different corner of our global network of experts. Hi, everyone. Thank you for tuning into this podcast. We are Control Risks, and I'm Kanupriya. I lead the compliance and investigations practice for control risks in the Middle East and North Africa. And I'm joined today by my colleagues, Courtney, who heads our business intelligence team, and Monaf, our disputes lead for the region. Today, we are going to be looking into utilizing intelligence techniques during legal disputes. We will particularly be focusing on employing such techniques in jurisdictions where there are lower public record disclosures, such as the Middle East, and we'll be discussing the different intelligence gathering techniques, how they are used, and when they are needed. Court, would you like to start with a brief of what business intelligence services are? Thanks, Kanu. I mean, I like to look at business intelligence as obtaining information that's difficult to find just in order to provide stakeholders with the insights to make informed decisions. In a dispute, it can be applied to making an assessment of your counterparty, including whether they are fit to sue, being able to trace their assets, or even just gathering specific intelligence to help inform your legal strategy. That's a, that's a really good overview quote. So what are the differences in public record accessibility and especially in the region? It's one of those things that just varies across the whole world with you know, the limited limitations of disclosure. And if you were to look at certain countries in the world, almost everything is online. In the Middle East and North Africa, people have always traditionally sort of said, oh, there's nothing available. One of the great things is sort of leading governments in this region are actually moving forward and are actually making sure that more information is disclosable. It's not always online and doesn't mean that it's actually not publicly available. It's just needing to know where to look. But we are progressing in this region, which is making the work easier, but is always needed to be complemented by other intelligence techniques to be able to really get the full picture of what's going on. It's important at the outset of any dispute to know what information is readily accessible and what countries will require other means to access information required. Naturally, different jurisdictions have have different levels of public disclosures, but even within the same jurisdiction, the availability of records will differ. If we're comparing the UK with the Middle East, there's obviously a significant difference in the levels of publicly accessible information in the UK in comparison with any country in the region. However, Middle Eastern countries, of course, differ amongst themselves. Take the UAE as an example. Corporate information is available, but not readily accessible, whereas in Oman, for instance, it's publicly accessible. Within the UAE itself, jurisdictions all differ. And a prime example is the GIFC, which publishes corporate record information, whereas onshore registries and other free zones don't. Looking at asset ownership information, again, the UK has a publicly accessible land registry, whereas the region typically does not. However, as Courtney mentioned, a limited public record does not mean it's not possible to obtain the required information. And this is really where intelligence gathering techniques come in. They're used to fill in the gaps. Thanks, Monaf. That's a good overview. So what are the intelligence gathering techniques and when do you need to use them? So modern technology has obviously paved the way for ease and prompt access to information. And you can obtain a significant amount of information from only your desktop. There is now considerable amount of information available in the public domain and public record. However, it has not replaced the quality of information that can be obtained by conducting human source inquiries, identifying and speaking with human sources who have primary insight into the subject of the investigation can unlock the required information that can shape a successful legal strategy. And these sources can range from business partners, clients, suppliers, or other well-placed sources that can provide commentary and insight. 
A great example that I've been involved in before was a shareholder dispute where our client, it wasn't clear to them what was the root cause of the dispute or who was actually driving that. In this situation, the counterparty was taking several lawsuits against the client because the client was wanting to end the, the joint venture partnership in country. So rather than this is something that you couldn't get from the public record, but we were able to speak to people who were aware of the issues from the other side. And through conversations, we were able to identify some very specific information that helped inform that legal strategy. What we'd learned was the issue was not actually about the joint venture partnership ending. It was that the other party was upset that it was being blamed for the company or the joint venture company's performance. We also learned that the lawsuits were being driven by specific senior executives who were personally aggrieved by that blame on our client. And with this, ultimately, the knowledge of what was really at the heart of the dispute, legal counsel was able to work with the client and the counterparty to negotiate a fair settlement. Part of that was actually just acknowledging that it was a shared blame rather than just blaming the other side. So I suppose, you know, the need to utilize these sort of human source techniques is driven by realizing there's a gap in information, right? A gap in that public record, which you need to fill in. Either way, you know, the information collection, whether it's public record or through human sources, is to enhance the investigation or your legal strategy. But it often depends where you are needing to look. Yeah, I think that's a key factor, isn't it? It's the jurisdiction, the investigation or dispute is taking place. Going back to the point made earlier, how much information is readily available in that specific jurisdiction and how reliant will we need to be on other means to obtain the required information? Another factor is the size and the profile of the counterparty in dispute. How much information is already available in the public record? If a subject of the investigation doesn't have much of a profile, the only means to access the required information will be by identifying sources who can comment and provide us with insight. But paramount to this is what is the actual exam question? What does the client aim to achieve from the investigation? And can the question be appropriately addressed through available public record information? Or do we need to go a step further to answer it? This is the key factor that we consider when deciding on an investigation plan and whether we need to employ more complex investigative methods, such as the use of human source inquiries. Monaf, in the same vein of what you're discussing, what scenarios would you say enhanced intelligence gathering techniques are required? So let's take the example of conducting an asset trace on a company that does not seem to have any tangible assets. You know, the company set up in a freezer and it operates from service office. Quite quickly, we would be able to assess that this company is unlikely to own any tangible assets. So we'd need to be creative and identify receivables, contracts, and financial assets to help the client's recovery efforts. You're not really going to get this information in the public record here in the Middle East, as private companies don't publish financial accounts or are not required to publish financial accounts. So a proven method by which we can obtain such information is by speaking with contacts who can advise us on the scale of the company's operations, how they are operating, and whether they are conducting any trade, their cash flow position, and whether they are in receipt of receivables or hold high-value contracts. And this is just one example where it will be required in an asset trace. Other dispute-related investigations also require human source inquiries or other investigations technique to address the client's needs. Thanks, Vana. So in, I'm thinking of a particular case where a lender was seeking to recover a debt from an entity that was just registered in one of the offshore free zones. The free zone is one of the locations where they don't publish shareholder information, even if you were to do you know, a visit to the free zone to actually ask them. That said, the director of the company was known. 
in this approach, while they wanted to actually recover debts from this lender that was in the free zone, we needed to have a stronger link to actually identify some assets. What we initially did was utilise a human source where we were able to learn of the sister entity that was actually an onshore company that was directly connected to the, the offshore entity. And through this, we were then able to confirm the ownership of the onshore sister entity. It was the same as the director. From this, we were able to establish that the operating address of the onshore entity was owned by the shareholder itself. What we were able to do then was ultimately using multiple data points between the offshore entity, the onshore entity, and the director slash shareholder to demonstrate that it was all part of the same group. From this, legal counsel was able to build a case that enabled to place an asset freeze on the office property and then move forward to actually recover the debt. Another technique we offer on the take is uh, conducting a site visit to a particular location to observe operations and obtain primary insight on the ground. Now, site visits are not always necessary, but can be depending on what the investigation seeks to achieve and can on occasions be extremely useful. If, for instance, we're conducting an investigation into intellectual property theft, I would probably say site visits are a key component of the investigation. We will need to conduct a visit to the market where the product is being sold and discreetly hold conversations with retailers to understand where they are sourcing the product from, from which we can develop an understanding on the supply chain and ultimately identify the perpetrators who are at the source of the theft. This is just another example of how we can apply enhanced intelligence gathering techniques and support investigations. As you know, Kanu, we often collaborate on investigations and you quite often bring us in to support your forensics investigations. That's right, Monaf. Intelligence gathering is quite a vital step sometimes to piece the puzzle together for an investigation where we may have, you know, very arbitrary allegations, no specifics. So if I have to give an example, you know, we've used intelligence gathering techniques when multiple individuals and companies are connected. So, you know, if the question is about kickbacks or how some of these employees are taking kickbacks from vendors, whether there's corruption, whether there's a conflict of interest between the employees and vendors, often intelligence is our first step and can be used to guide other investigative steps, you know, whether that is electronic review of data, there are investigative interviews or, or anything else that we would normally employ as an internal investigative technique. In a recent case where we had to identify if an employee was taking kickbacks, the allegations were very sparse. It was more like a situation of finding a needle in a haystack where we didn't have any specifics. There were rumors, there was a written allegation from, from an anonymous whistleblower saying that, you know, this employee is taking kickbacks. So in that situation where we didn't have any information to start the investigation with, we really relied on the intelligence gathering techniques, the corporate interest checks, etc., on these employees. And then once we got that information, we actually used that intelligence. We converted them into some keywords, some phrases, and then we searched through the electronic data set. And that really narrowed down the results for us and proved to be a successful investigation. So, I mean, this is just one of the examples, one of the simpler examples. I mean, there are a lot more complex cases as well, where at different stages of an investigation, we regularly lean upon the intelligence gathering techniques. So intelligence seems to support in so many different ways, whether it's an investigation, whether it's a dispute, whether it's to inform a legal dispute strategy. Is there a set approach to how you meet these requirements? Courtney? Thanks, Kana. I mean, I think it's important to realise that every assignment is different. When a client comes to us and they might say, oh, we want background checks on person X or company X, we want to understand really what they mean by that. 
There is a process, however, that is consistent that you actually will always go through, whether it is an asset identification, background checks, counterparty assessment, and so on. The first step is always trying to understand what is it that the client is ultimately trying to achieve that allows us to set the scene. And as Mona said earlier, what is the exam question? And once we know that, we then set about working through what are the underlining questions that we need to be answering in order to meet that exam question itself. And we call that the information requirements. From that, once we know what the information requirements are, we have to consider what are the best methodologies to use to get the best answer. Some of that will be relying on the Google searching. Some of it will be relying on public record research, official corporate records, property checks, whatever it may be. And then, as I mentioned before, filling in the gaps with those human sources as well. And that actually allows us to set out the work plan and work through that. I think the other thing that's really important is to be doing this in collaboration with legal counsel and the client so that we're all aligned and keeping them informed as they go. So, particularly when working on a legal strategy, we're providing that live intelligence that will actually help keep things going forward. True. Uh, Munaf, what are some of the legal and ethical concerns that we need to consider while doing intelligence gathering? Similar to the investigative journalist approach, gathering information does not need to be illegal or unethical. There are laws that must be abided by. Let's take banking information as an example, which we are often asked about. So when operating in the field of corporate investigations, we are required to adhere to banking privacy laws. So information pertaining to banking relationships can be provided so long as it's public information, such as identifying references and publications that name banking facilities held by the subject. Surveillance is another great area, and each country has its own laws with respect to surveillance. So while it can be extremely useful, particularly if seeking to locate a subject, in several countries it is illegal, including the UAE. So while our colleagues in the UK may undertake surveillance, here in the UAE it's not really an option. So all this to say that it's absolutely vital that while we are carrying out such sensitive work, we do not violate any local or international regulations that may jeopardise us, our clients' reputation and their legal case. Thanks, Manaf. That's very interesting. Court, if there is one thing that you would highlight on how intelligence can support disputes, what would that be? Look, I think simply it is about providing insights to the counterparty. It might be something tangible like you know, a counterparty's asset position. There could also be intangible, such as motivation, drivers, and decision-making processes. Either way, the insights will help inform your strategy in litigation. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. And thank you so much, Monaf and Court, for taking the time. If anybody has any questions, of course, they can reach out to us directly. Thank you. If you enjoyed what you heard on this episode of In Focus, Make sure to subscribe wherever you listen. And be sure to subscribe to our other podcasts as well, such as The Global Insight, our fortnightly panel discussion exploring the impact of the most pressing issues on global business. All of our podcasts are available wherever you listen. Just search Control Risks. You can follow all of our analysis and find out how we are helping businesses build organizations that are secure, compliant, and resilient by visiting controlrisks.com.